Well, uh, good morning, everyone. So let's just, um, I just want to pray before we just go into the Word. So, Father, thank you for already a wonderful morning. It feels like we've already had a feast. Uh, we feasted on your presence. But, Lord, we want to feast on your Word as well. And, uh, Lord, as we just dive in and look at what the Word of God says for us, we pray that you would speak to us through your Word, speak to us through the message, um, that, Lord, for every single one, that you would give us ears so we could really hear what you are saying, that for those that are maybe dull or blinded spiritually, we pray you'd come and open up eyes this morning and hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to start a, a series of just up till the end of November where we're going to be preaching into what does the church look like? What are we called to as a church, as a congregation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus in on two scriptures mainly um, over the next month, Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at in terms of like what, where are we going as a church? Um, what are we called to do? And, and some of you might be here as visitors or you're just simply popping in or visiting. It doesn't matter if you're here as a vis visitor or not. This is also relevant for you because God's word is true no matter where you are. But there is a sense that for us as a congregation, as, as a Wellington AM congregation, part of Joshua Generation Church, there are certain things that we are called to. There are certain distinctives that we have, certain values that we call to hold on to that God's Word speaks about, that we, in a sense, it makes us different. And you know, I've got three children, um, so I've got the, the privilege to have uh, two daughters. One is 19 years old, one is 16 years old, and the other one is 12 years old, a son. And... All three of them are very, very different, um, and I don't expect them to be like one another. They're different personalities, different temperaments, um, and it's the same with churches. You know, we've, there's a church down the road. There's some wonderful churches in the area, but they're like different children in the family. They're different to, to us. We've got different emphases than they do, and that's the way I think that God has designed it. We've got certain things that we are called to bring, so what is it? And so this morning, I want us to look at Matthew 28, verse 16. And, um, you know, the wonderful thing is we're not a cruise ship, someone once said. The church is not a cruise ship. You know, we don't get on and we're going to go for a cruise into the sunset. The church is a battleship. The church is a place when, that when you come on board the local church, it's a place that if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, it's a place where God says, right, I'm going to enlist you now and you're going to get to work in the kingdom of God. Obviously, if you come in and you're just a passenger, you won't stay a passenger for long. If you're on a battleship, you're going to get put to work. And uh, isn't that true about the church as well of Jesus? So what I want to do is I just want to read the scripture, and I'm going to focus on one thing this morning, bring out one thing, one truth this morning from Matthew 28 verse 16. So it is called the Great Commission. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And what I want to do this morning is I want to, um, I want to teach and preach about worship. Um, and one of the distinctives and one of the, the, the emphasis that we are called to be as the people of God is we are called to be 
a worshiping people. And we find that in the scripture, what happens is when Jesus um, comes to the mountain and they see Jesus, when they see him, what is the very first response to seeing Jesus? And we can see in verse 17 here that when they see him, the first response is, and they worshiped him. But some doubted. And it's interesting, it puts in that little statement there. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And you know, the one thing I love about the Bible and about the gospel writers is how honest they are. Like, it's not a, they don't gloss over and say, well, every single one of them worshipped and no one ever doubted again. They just believed in Jesus with all of their hearts, you know. They trusted in him. No, it actually says that they doubted. And one of the great proofs, actually, of Scripture is that the Bible is very clear to describe men and women who have got faults and mistakes and how you've got these broken people that really don't always attain and achieve up. And, you know, sometimes we can look at people who are mature in the Lord and you can look at them and say, do they ever sin? Like, do they ever make mistakes? Do people that have walked with God for a long time and I know when I was a young Christian, I would often look at the elders in the church and I would look at them and think, these men are, you know, as Will Morris says, they glow in the dark and they worship with the angels. Like these men, that somehow maybe when they have their quiet times, they tend to read it and maybe they even hear the audible voice of God. You know, they don't need the Bible because God speaks to them face to face, son. And I want to say it's, it's, not, it's not like that. Um, it's not like that at all. And it says here, although maybe Richard's going, yeah, for me it is. <laughs> for some it might be. But I know for, for many of us, the reality is, is that we are called to worship God through the midst of doubt, through the midst of difficulty. We are not immune to it when you become mature in God. And um, it says that they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And you know, one of the, the distinctives of the church has always been the church has always been a worshipping church. Over the last 2,000 years, in the history of the Christian church, the church has always been a singing people. We've always been singing, always been worshipping. And, and one of the things that marks us out as the people of God, as I think someone once said it, we're a people of God who sing the praises of God in the presence of God. We're a people of God who sing the praises of God in the presence of God. We've always been a singing people. And if you come into the faith, when you come and are born again, it's like a reflex. Your first thing you do is you worship. You worship him. You, you give yourself to him. You honor him. You obey him. You love him as part of our worship. And if you don't have that as a reflex, for you, if worship is not a, a reflex, then I want to say, well, maybe you haven't yet, you're not born again. And you could come to church and you can do the right thing, but have you really met him? Um... I remember before, when, before, when I was a, before I was a Christian, I used to listen to a lot of music and a lot of secular music, a lot of, um, you know, all kinds of, I, I'm going to say in the 80s, it was a long time ago, 80s music, and um, being English, and I grew up with that, but after I, become a, I became a Christian in 1990, 1991, suddenly the music I listened to, it didn't glorify God, and it was like, ah, it didn't sit well with me. And for a whole season, I actually left aside that music because I wanted to have music that would worship God. And the only music in those days that was decent were things like, I remember, it was um, Michael Card. He's an old school 
some of you might know, big black beard, and he used to be on a, and Don Francisco, and he would play his guitar, ding, 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 ding. It's got nothing like the music we have today. And it wasn't maybe very good music, but it was music unto the Lord. And I was like, I just wanted to worship him, even with, I would take kids' tapes, because I couldn't get, you couldn't download Christian music, because, you know, before the days of the internet. And I would just listen to kids' music, just so that I could worship God. Um... Anyway, and the ultimate aim for us, friends, is not actually that we, because if you look at the scripture in Matthew 28, it carries on and says that you might go and make disciples of all nations. Now, did you know that the the end goal for you and me as believers is not to make disciples? That's not the end goal. That That is the mission we call to do. We call that's our job, and we'll look at that in the coming weeks, but our end goal is to make disciples who will worship him. The end goal, the aim, as someone once said, of mission is worship. That's why we lead people to the Lord, so that they could also know him, that they could also worship him, that they could also love him. The end is worship. And I love what it says here. It says, and when they, let's go back to verse 17, and when they saw him, it says they worshipped him. And this word here for worship, it's a little Greek word, and, um, and I'm going to mention the word, not because I'm going to try and, I don't read, I'm not one of those guys I want to keep mentioning Greek words, but this is helpful for us in this context. And the little Greek word is the word proskuneo. And what it means, it means to kiss towards. That's what the word means to worship, to, to kiss. Now, as a young Christian, I knew that, and I knew this word. I, I'd, you know, read articles, I'd listened to preachers about this word worship, which what it, what it means to kiss, to come towards and kiss. And I had always thought that it referred to the kind of kissing that, like, almost of equals. Like, I want to kiss my wife. Or, you know, it's the way two lovers kiss. It's the way that maybe even there's some kind of affection of maybe even a, a kissing of, you know, or, or father to a son or a father to a daughter, that kind of kissing. But it's got nothing to do with that kind of kissing. What this, what this refers to, it refers to a servant, that's actually the context, the word means coming and kissing the hand of a king. That's what it means. In other words, the kind of worship is not that I come to God and Jesus is my boyfriend kind of worship, okay, which often is what it is today. It's the kind of worship that says I'm coming before the king and I will kiss the king. In other words, I will come as a servant And in the old days, what they would do is they would literally come before the king as servants of the king, and they would come into his presence, and they would kiss the hand of the king. That's what the word means. At the root of worship is a heart of obedience, of reverence, of submission. It's not kind of a lighthearted, we're going to come and worship the Lord now, you know. There's a sense of reverence. In other words, you're coming before the king. You're not coming before your friend first. And what is so gracious about God and what I love about God, he says to you, right, I am your king, but now I will become your friend. And he becomes the lover of our souls, but the foundation is always fear of the Lord and reverence that it comes to him. And um, there's this wonderful scripture, um, Psalm 25 verse 14, it says this, it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. And so we see that as a people, like the foundation of our worship, that if, if when we gather together as a local church on a Sunday morning, when we gather in our homes to worship together, the foundation of our worship is a sense of a reverence for God, 
a healthy fear of the Lord, that we come in knowing you are God and I am not. You're the king and I'm the servant. We don't come to God as equals. We don't come to God of like, Lord, right, what can you give me today? You know, like the servant waltzes into the courts of the king and says, hey, king, I'm you, if you do that in ancient days, that man would be struck down. There's a way that we posture ourselves when we come in to the presence of God, and it's a posture of saying, you are the Lord. And that's the great thing, isn't it, of what a Christian is. What marks out a Christian, the New Testament says, it's someone who says this, Jesus is Lord. That's what it is, Romans 10. In order to be saved, you have to say that. Jesus is not just my friend. Jesus is my lover. Jesus is my, you know, my buddy. No, it's Jesus is my Lord. And the very heart of worship means to come forward to kiss as if you're coming forward to kiss the Lord of all the universe. And isn't it the wonder of the gospel that we can actually worship God um, and yet he, he, he makes us his friends. He says, yes, you're my servant, but would you come to me? Come and, in a sense, come sit on my lap. Come sit next to me. I'm going to share my glory with you. I'm going to love you. And so there is a side, friends, that I think in our worship that we, 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 we actually, and you know, as charismatic churches, we, we've lost something of this truth. It's like, where is all the reverence gone? As the song goes, where is all the reverence gone? And what I love about this congregation is that when I come in, I sense the reverence of God. Um, but then there's another side of our worship that I think we have to be aware of. It's not only just reverence, but of joy. And although it doesn't say there that they worship Jesus with joy, but if you look throughout the scriptures, there's like an overwhelming theme that we to worship. We come into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm, where is it? It's Psalm 50, I think it's uh, Psalm 53. We come into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And then it carries on. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Um, I, sorry, I was thinking of Psalm 100. But then earlier on in Psalm 50, like, let's come and sing for joy to the Lord. And, you know, the other weakness, I think, in our charismatic churches is that we don't always worship with joy. And part of the challenge, I think, of being in a traditional community like Wellington, this Wellington Pearl area, one of the things that robs us of our worship is tradition. And it robs us of joy in the Lord. It's like we come before the Lord, or dentlik, you know, we come maybe, but we lose the joy. And friends, like one of the things that should mark us out is this duality. There is reverence, but then there's joy. And God wants his people to worship him with joy as well. There's this wonderful scripture in Psalm 2 in verse 11. And it says this, serve the Lord with fear. And then it says, and rejoice but with trembling. <laughs> it's like, how does that work? <laughs> well, you're confusing me now because are we, are we going to worship him with, you know, are, are, are we going to be somber or are we going to be happy? Are we, no, we both. You know, we both. And that's why I, I love this congregation. I love the fact that we're part of a church that has the joy of the Lord. But we've got to fight to keep it in a sense. We've got to maintain the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is not something we feel like doing. We don't feel like always worshiping God with joy, but we, we commanded to do it because he is good and we to sing before him. You know, and one of the great, I'll be honest with you, one of the great challenges personally that I found from coming out of, I got saved out of a very traditional environment, was that to learn how to worship God with exuberance and joy. Because I came out of a church that would sing songs like this. Be still and know that I am God. 
be still and know. And, um, and we'd sit down, we'd stand up, we'd sit down, we'd stand up. And I remember once, I was, in, I was 17, and there was a happy clappy in the church. I was in a Catholic church, and there was an evening service, and they had a band, which was pretty revolutionary for the church I was in. And the one guy got really excited, and he started clapping his hands. And I was just thinking, deliver me, like right now. I just, my brother, when he was in grade 8, grade 9, he went to a charismatic church. He went to visit one. And I just remember hearing these stories about these charismatics. They swing from the chandeliers. They, they, I just heard these wild stories about these wild meetings of people that are just like, they clap, they even raise their hands, they shout to the Lord. I was like, oh, is that even like, you know, and we just were just on the other end. But friends, it's like the Bible says we can do these things. And what tradition does, it robs us of the joy of the Lord. And, um, and, and these are things that we're called to hold. And may we, as a church, as we move forward, we are called to be a worshiping people that worship with reverence and we worship with, with joy. Now, what I want to do is I just want to give three things that rob us of worshiping the Lord. Three things this morning that rob us of worshiping Him. That can rob us. Number one, the fear of man. That's the first thing that can rob us of worshiping the Lord. And I know these are very simple things, but I'm going to just go through. What will others think? When we, when we worship him. That's often what sometimes we think. John 12 verse 43 says this about the Pharisees. It says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This was an accusation that Jesus gave to the religious people of the day, is that they actually are living for the glory of other people rather than for the glory of God. And may that be never said of us, friends, and you know, what is the, the way that we break the fear of man? You've just got to obey God. If God's telling you, some of you maybe have never, in our corporate settings in worship, you've never raised your hand, because maybe you're scared of what your spouse would think. Some of you have never danced before the Lord. You've never experienced that. The first time I had to do these things, I was scared witless. What will people think of me? And I was like, God, deliver us from that. We are called to be a people that live for the glory of God. And even if it means doing things, it might make you feel uncomfortable or foolish. That is what it means to love the Lord. The fear of man. Is that something you struggle with? I know I do sometimes. I still sometimes think, God, yeah, what will so-and-so think? Sometimes we have family that visit the church. Um, sometimes I've had my parents-in-law that have come to visit. I remember they're very proper, you know, they, they're kind of just still checking things out. Um, very, you know, they dress nicely and they, they <laughs> I'm not getting the words out at the moment. And often I've thought, like when they've come to visit us and visit the church, and, I, and there's been times where we've danced before the Lord, and I felt like, Mike, just dance before the Lord. Raise your hands, I clapped to him. And I've often thought, like, I wonder what my in-laws think of me right now. I'll be honest, I mean, that's something I have struggled with, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway, I'm going to look like a fool for Christ. Number two, what are the things that rob us of worshiping the Lord? And I said this, conservative, I've mentioned it, but I'm going to say it just clearly. Conservative tradition, some of you are coming out of traditional churches. We've got a number of people here that have been saved out of traditional churches where, you know, worship is very constrained and very, very traditional. Um, I want to just share a story with you on this. We, when we lived in Oatsorn, we lived in the Clan Karoo for six years and we led a church there. The one year we went to the Mighty Men Conference, and we had about 60 men 
no, no, maybe a bit more than that, that we took in buses. They weren't just from our church that we were leading, but they were from churches in the area. Some of them were very traditional churches because the Afrikaans farmer, especially, they love Angus Bucken. Um Angus, they call him. And so a whole bunch of us went, I think it must have been more than that. We drove up from Otsorn, and we drove up all the way to KwaZulu-Natal to Greytown, where the, the, this camp was. And when we arrived at the men's camp, we arrived with 60,000 men at the camp. It was the year before there, there was, I think, 300,000 the year after. The year we were there, it was 60,000 men. We arrived at this campsite, and it looks like the children of Israel have settled across the, the plains of the desert. And it was this incredible sight of just as far as the eye could see, it was just pitched tents after tents. And we were going because we were, we'd heard about this camp. We wanted to go and meet with God. And many of these very traditional men, and in their way, I think that they feared God. They wanted to serve him, but they didn't know how. Some of them had never heard the gospel. And I remember that weekend was profound for a number of them. Um, especially that we're part of our group that we had invited along, that we're still part of a very traditional church. And um, just through the worship, you had 60,000 men worshiping God. Angus Bucken was preaching from the front. It was a powerful weekend of encountering God. And many of these men committed their lives to Christ. They, they, they got thoroughly born again. I mean, there was a work of God that, that happened that week. But one, of, one or two of them ended up coming back from... Um, you know, from the Angus Bucken time, and they, they visited us in our church for a while because they wanted more of God. And I don't want to, I'm going to be a bit incorrect here and say, you know, the problem, the challenge often in traditional churches is, and the reason people leave us from traditional churches is because they want more of God. They don't want the tradition. They don't want to be stuck in, they want the life of God. When they read their Bible in Acts, they see the life of God. And it's like, where is the life of God? And sometimes you can try and change things from the ground, but the reality is if the leader doesn't want that, you can never bring about true change. And so what happens is, the same with me, I got frustrated, I had to leave in order to find the new wine. And, and so these guys, some of them left, but many of them, and I remember my one friend, he was my tennis buddy at the tennis club in Otsorn, he decided to go back to um, the church he came from because he wanted to kind of honor his parents and his grandparents and they were all part of the church and for him it was a real cost even in leaving that, that church and so he had met with God powerfully on the weekend and he went back and he still had a fire in his heart but I could see over the coming months it was as if that fire was, was extinguished it was as if that passion in his heart was just like slowly that coal became cold. It was, it was fiery hot, and it lost its, its heat because he was around people that didn't worship the same way he did, didn't feel the same way he did. And you know, I'm saying this because there's a reality of it. There's conservatism that robs us of these things. And I want to say to your friends, if you, that's why we need to make sure we, we find the life of God. And you know, often people say, what church should I join? What's the best church to join? It's the one where you have the life of God. If we as a church, if we as leaders sin and we, and we go off the rails, I want to say, leave this church. Rather, go to a church down the road that you might believe is healthier. We're not into building the name of Josh Jen. That's all we're about. 
about lifting up Christ. We want to be a healthy church. But a healthy church starts with exuberant worship. It starts with the people that are, are not concerned about their reputations. But when we come, we come to lift up the name of the King. That when we worship Him, we come together as a people. And we know that when other unbelievers walk in, they, they sense the presence of God among us. So let's break off this chains, friends. Conservative tradition, there's no place for that among us. Number three, the third thing that can rob us of worshiping God is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. And what's interesting with, if you go back to Matthew 28 verse 17, it's a very simple thing this. But if you look at this, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped. In other words, their worship was a response to seeing the resurrected Jesus. And so when they saw Jesus in his, although not in his complete glory, but they saw him, they worshipped him. And you see, our, almost the, the truth of our worship is always related to how much we see the Lord, of how much we can almost have a, the, the word is revelation, where we can actually have a, and the word revelation, so in Ephesians 1, Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians, and he's longing that they know God. He wants them to worship God and, and love him and serve him, but he, he's trying to write. And what he says in Ephesians 1, he says, I am praying for you for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, so that your hearts may be enlightened that you could know him. In other words, he's praying that God would reveal himself to them, that they could see God. And if you see God, you will, you will know him, you'll worship him, you'll you see, we don't just command it to do it because it's right. We call to, to see him. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Are we seeing God? Like when you're reading your Bible, are you asking God, God, would you show yourself to me that I'm going to worship you out of a revelation of who you are and not just because I'm commanded to do so? Because that's, that's terrible if you're just in that place. We worship him out of revelation. And what I mean by that, I mean is that let me try and use an example of that. It's a sense of, I know the most profound times of worship, the way I have my quiet times, let me just, just kind of give this to you, is the way I have my quiet times is often I start my quiet times by reading the Bible. And I find that my prayers are more effective if I read the Bible first. Often when I read the Bible, I'll read it. Not Okay, often, but, but from time to time when I read it, I'll have this incredible sense of who God is. And sometimes I read my Bible and I'll actually look. For example, I'll be reading parts of the Old Testament and I'll say, okay, how does this reveal what God is like? And I'll read parts. And as parts of um, what God is like, in a sense, I look for it. Okay, God is like this. And, and it's, it's almost as if in my heart something gets pulled back. The curtain gets pulled back. And I get to see afresh, oh, I'm reminded of this is what God is like. And in that place, my my, my what I want to do right there is I stand up and I begin to worship him because I just get to see how glorious God is. It's a response to, to how we see him. There's this wonderful, and in closing, there's this wonderful story in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4, of, and it's got this picture of heaven, especially Revelation 4, and it says that around the throne room of God are these four creatures, these four living creatures, and these four living creatures, it says that they're these fantastical creatures. They're called the seraphim. And the ones in Revelation 4, it says that they've got six wings. Imagine a creature with six wings. Six wings, and it's got eyes all around. All around this, this creature is covered with eyes. 
And then it said with these creatures, one has the face of a lion. Another creature has the face of a man. Another creature has the face of an ox. And another creature has the face of an eagle. And these four creatures, it says 24-7, they are surrounding the throne, worshiping God without ceasing. Day and night, it says, they worship him. And the refrain, the chorus that these four living creatures sing, they sing this refrain. It says, unceasingly, over and over and over again. They sing the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the one who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it says in Revelation 4 that day and night they don't stop worshiping God. Imagine that. There's 24-7 worship going on in heaven. Now the question is, why don't they stop worshiping God? Why is it that they worship God unceasingly? And the answer is, is because they have eyes all around them. In other words, they are always seeing God. They're always seeing him in his glory. That no matter if they turn their backs from him, in a sense, they're seeing God. If they turn to the side, they're seeing God. They are always seeing God in his glory. And friends, this response of the seraphim, if it's for them, how much more for us when we get a little glimpse, when we sing our worship songs and, and we listen to preaching and it's suddenly like, oh my hat, this is what God is like. Oh Lord, I have to worship you. And as a people, you know, we never want to drive you to worship. We don't want to be the church of like, come on everybody, get your hands in the air right now. I've been in churches like that, where like the, the leaders, they almost like beat the people. Get your hands in the air, you know, like you just don't care. <laughs> and then everyone gets a hand in the air, and, then, and then, then it says, right, you know, everyone. And let me say that I think there are times that you can do that, because it is helpful sometimes when you get nudged. But if, if you're in a church, it's always driven like that, and it's drivey, and it's a sense of, but we want to be a people who give of ourselves to the Lord. That, that we don't have to try and crank you up in a sense, you know, because you, 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 you're knowing him and you're seeing him and you're loving him. And out of that place, we, it's like we press into the presence of God. And this morning, I don't know about you, man, but it was so sweet. And I don't know, maybe one of the reasons is because many of you have been pressing into God. And when we come on a Sunday, it's like, it's just like this, we've been seeing him in the week and now we can see him on a Sunday. I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's just because God is so gracious and we, none of us have been, but we've, God is so good anyway. He says, I'm going to just pour my spirit upon you. So in closing, I, I, I want to encourage us. One of the marks of us is Wellington AM. We are called to be a worshiping church. And we're called to worship him passionately, with joy, but we're also called to worship him with reverence, with a sense of coming before the Lord. He's the Lord. And that means that we're people who, who, who lay our lives down for Christ, don't we? That we love him in the midst of what? We come when we don't feel like it. If the king says come, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. If the king says come, it means like, Lord, I'm getting up on a Sunday morning. I don't feel like coming this morning, but the king bids me to come. I'm going to come. Okay, there's rugby at 11. Okay, sure, I'd rather stay home and maybe you know, sleep in a bit. And then I'll wait. if the rugby was at, now, how's this? What if the rugby was at 9 a.m.? <laughs> what would it have done? It's like, oh, who do we, you know? And God, let's be honest. I mean, I think maybe for some of, some of you, it would be a, like a real struggle. 
It would be, it almost would be like Liverpool playing the Champions League final on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. It would be a big test of my heart. But it's like, no, the king says come. I'm not going to forsake the gathering of the saints. I'm there. I'm there. I'm here. I'm with the people of God, worshiping in the presence of God, singing the praises of God. That's what I'm doing before the Lord. And so in closing, I would, I would like to just pray for us. And, and I want us to sing this little um, song together. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old song that I want us to sing, just without the band or anything. And can you stand with me? Let's stand together. What I want you to do is just, the song goes like this, open the 